Okay, uh, Riley, what do I do? There's a... How does this thing work? Is this the microphone? Hi, everybody! <laughs> my name is Dan and Wilk. Oh my god, can you... I think I'd shoot myself if that was my actual voice. I would not be friends with you. I wouldn't be friends with you if that was your actual voice. If you have turned this podcast off, I don't blame you after hearing that voice coming into your ears. And if somehow you turned it off and turned it back on and are now hearing me saying that, bravo and thanks for coming back. If you've weathered this entire storm, you are a true weirdo. Well, I think the feather in your cap on that was that you realized it and you... You scuttled that ship real fast. I did. It, I just heard it in my own ears, and it sounded terrible. Hi! <laughs> We're going to talk about strange happenings today. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was a, that would be a bad voice audition. What? That it sounded like you were like teetering on opera. No, it was too many characters in one. Hi, you. You like to drink the Scotch whiskey blend? It's very smooth and allow you to get the ladies. Jameson, Irish whiskey blend with bushmills. You sound like um, radio plays we did in grade nine drama. <laughs> in, in grade nine drama, we did these radio play, like, uh-huh. like you know, readings of plays, and they would play them in the cafeteria at lunch. Oh, wow. No wonder, like, everybody lost weight that month, like... Oh, my God. They were awful. They were awful. You know what I did for years? Quaaludes? <laughs> I have to assume that they're somewhere. I used to record on audio tapes a radio station that I called Radio Dan. You talked about this before. On the podcast? Yeah. Oh. I'm becoming old. You're becoming redundant. Oh, very much. <laughs> my kids have already told me there's another father out there uh, for them. They don't really need me anymore at all. Well, your son's almost, your son's almost 13. He is 13. Well then, you're you're done. Yeah, he's the new father of the house. He said your your part is done. Yeah, they've actually I've been moved uh, from the main part of the house into the shed in the backyard. I'm glad they don't know I'm in the house right now. At any moment they could find out, and I'll be in hot duty if that occurs. I actually heard you talking to them before the podcast, telling them not to run around and make noise. And they're doing it right now. I can hear them. Are they really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just hear stomping. Back and forth. All right. I can't win. Riley, we should get going here on uh, on uh, the show tonight. There, this is a, another, I don't know. I always, I, I can never tell, you know, you, we do all this research and make up our notes. Sometimes I think a show is going to go long and then it doesn't. It depends on too how much chatter and derailing we yeah, do. Yeah, so leave me alone. You sound like every relationship I've ever had. Unplug your mic. So our story. Uh, okay, in- wait. I'm, no, no. I'm, I want to do it the right way. Oh. Hey, Dan, can I hear something weird? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell me something weird. Oh, you want you want me to tell you something weird? Yeah. I'm trying to get that thing going that we talked about before, where we always open the thing with, you know, and hey, then you I, want to hear and something I respond weird? In, in French. Well, you won't do it, so I'm doing it for you. Bonjour, Ali. Quoi, c'est que, 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 comme je suis une abre. Okay. So, Riley. For all our listeners, by the way, he just said, "I am a tree." No, don't don't keep going okay. with that. You're gonna we're gonna lose all our people from France. We don't have any. We don't. We have Belgium, and really, we know that's where the real French people live, and the Flemish. Okay, so our story in this episode takes us back not to Belgium or to France, but to the Emerald Isle, back to one of my favorite places on the planet. You are obsessed with Ireland. I am. I think I've said this before. If I had to live anywhere other than Canada, I'd want to live in Ireland. You're not serious. I'm very... Why wouldn't I be serious? Okay, wait. No, I, I know it's great, but if you could live anywhere other than here, you wouldn't choose like Florence or no. Paris or no, someplace big. with a really nice climate. You yeah. would choose Ireland. Yeah, because it's beautiful. The people are incredible. I've never felt more at home in a place than I do in Ireland when I'm there. It's in my bones. New York City. Too big and dirty. Okay, I'm puzzled. Like, I love Ireland, but I'm I... visiting. I'd like to live somewhere like Paris or... No, the only some- other place that would come close would be Greece. The islands of Greece. Yeah, I, I get that, because then you'd get away from bad climate. Yes. And it's beautiful, yeah. nice people, great food. All right, so... 
Tonight's story is actually going to be told in two parts, similar to what you did a few weeks ago with the Tommy Knockers and the name. I can't remember the name of the mine, the gold, the gold, that gold mine. The Phoenix Mine. Right. Thank you. The Phoenix yes. Mine. So one is of an infamous and perhaps sinister clandestine organization. And the other is the scariest and eeriest place in Ireland, as voted by the Irish people recently in a public poll. Okay, that sounds promising. Montpellier Hill and the Hellfire Club that is forever associated with it have long haunted the people of the region. And tonight, we will delve into this dark mystery. Have you ever heard of the Hellfire Club, Riley? No, I haven't. It sounds like someplace bikers would go. So I had heard of it. I didn't know the story at all. And in fact, I thought the same thing. Mm -hmm. It sounded like something bikers would be associated with. Yeah, and there's like loose women with purses with fringe on them. Well, you're not far off, actually. And it's it's funny because in a way, modern day biker gangs could be compared to what that group was back in its time. Okay, so oh, we're going way back? We are going to the way back machine to the 1700s. Oh, a fun time. So let us start with the Hellfire Club. The Hellfire Club has long loomed large in the imagination of those who know of it. But who exactly were they? What did they believe? And what did they do? Despite its infamy, the organization known as the Hellfire Club was relatively short-lived in Ireland. The group was founded in 1737 and effectively disbanded by the early 1740s, though some attempted to restart the group over the decades that followed and sometimes under different names. But the the yeah, the, the mantra that allowed them to run is sort of carried on for several decades. It didn't last long. No. Like most theater companies, a couple of years and mm-hmm. that's that. So despite this, the organization still looms large in the public consciousness, especially for the people in those areas where the Hellfire Club ran. If you ask people what they know of the Hellfire Club, many uh, many will say that it was sort of like a Masonic-like group of rich aristocrats who enjoyed drunken orgies where they gambled and practiced dark arts like murder and human sacrifice. Oh, this is getting fun. You know, it's it kind of what you would think of when you think of Elon Musk or Bill Gates having a party. No. Yes. Oh. How much of this is fanciful imagination and how much has a basis in fact? You just used the word fanciful. Yeah. I've known you a long time and I don't think I've ever known you to use the word fanciful. Back in the day, uh, late 90s, I was known as a fancy pants and I wore them fancifully. Continue. Thank you. How much is is this made up? Did like even people have questioned whether the group existed at all? But if they did exist, who were their members? Where did the group, sorry, what did the group believe or do? Did they in fact practice devil worship and human sacrifice, etc.? And have orgies. And have orgies. Well, who doesn't have an orgy? If you're rich. Right. The Hellfire Club was an organization very much of its time, a period when Enlightenment philosophy caused many to question the strictures and restraints of society, especially those of the church. Mm-hmm. An engaging example of the mindset of the period comes from the accounts of a man named Thomas Buck Whaley, who was born nearly 30 years after the Hellfire Club prowled the streets of Dublin. Why do your topics always have the best names? Thomas Buck Whaley. Yes, there's a lot of You always there. have the best names. Thomas Buck Whaley. I search stories specifically for people with cool names in them. That's a Thomas Buck Whaley. You can't, you can't say it and not sound Irish. I'm Thomas Buck Whaley. He, uh, so he was born into a wealthy Dublin family in 1768, and he described himself in a manner that would probably have made him a good candidate for membership of the club. So this guy's not a member, but sort of embodies that movement, that, that way of thinking. So he said, this is a quote, I was born with strong passions, a lively imaginative disposition, and a spirit that could brook no restraint. I possessed a restlessness and activity of mind that directed me to the most extravagant pursuits, and the ardor of my disposition never abated until satiety had weakened the power of my enjoyment. The original Hellfire Club appears to have been created by Philip I, Duke of Wharton in England in 1719. Philip was a controversial character prone to excessive drinking and outrageously lewd behavior. This first Hellfire Club in England was suppressed, in fact, by the order of King George I in 1721. The Irish Hellfire Club was founded in 1735 by a man named Richard Parsons, who was a known dabbler in black magic. Oh dear. The society was described by Horace Walpole as, and I quote, 
a club for which the nominal qualification is having been to Italy, and the real one being drunk. The two chiefs are Lord Middlesex and Sir Francis Dashwood, who were seldom sober the whole time they were in Italy. Francis Dashwood, who uh, became a later member of the Hellfire Club in the 1730s, uh, he gained notoriety in 1755 when he tried to create sort of... Um, so he was very young when, when it first came around. But in 1755, he tried to revive the Hellfire Club and renamed it. Or their nickname was the Monks of Medmenham Abbey. And uh, what they used to do is they would meet in uh, an old Cistercian monastery on the banks of the Thames. And apparently what they would do in there is um, they would have orgies and they'd get really drunk and then they would per actually perform Franciscan rites and ceremonies while drunk and naked and, and basically blaspheming the whole process. So that, these are just actual accounts that we have historically of this group actually running and existing. The Irish members of the club met at locations across Dublin and were known for their immoral behavior and debauchery involving alcohol and sex as well. The secrecy surrounding the club members led to speculation that they were Satanists and devil worshippers. Mm. Apparently, the president of the club in Ireland was named the King of Hell and dressed like Satan with horns, wings, and hooves. Okay, wait, what? Like all the time? Not all the time. Like he wasn't going to the bakery dressed like that. You shitty person. Continue. <laughs> Smartass. <laughs> The members were said to also set a place at each meeting for the devil in the hope that he'd attend. The club's motto was Fesecutu Vudras, or Do What Thou Wilt, a motto later ado adopted by Aleister Crowley, the infamous English. Of course. Poet. So they're like libertines, kind of. They're like, yeah, just, you know, go with it, man. At the very least, they were hedonists. Like, they were very indulgent and didn't believe in vice. They didn't believe, sorry, they didn't believe in sin. Like they didn't believe that. Yeah. Just indulge yourself. Do what makes you feel good. Do you know, I worked at a, at a resort called Hedonism 2 in Greece. You did what? I worked at a resort called Hedonism 2 in Greece. It's how I got my airfare back to Canada when I went through Europe. How many tattoos did you get while you were there? I had none then. At, like when you left, like you had none going in and all of them after? Stop. You know what? Uh, the currency at Hedonism was beads. Okay, so tell me, or can you tell me what happened there? Nothing, nothing. It was tons of Americans would come there to get laid. Okay. And we'd have like toga parties, no one would. And they were all like people that would have difficulty finding a partner. Let me, I'm just trying to be kind. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was awkward. And it's important to note though, while we're saying this, these people did not necessarily believe that they, what they were doing was evil. Like in their mind's eye, they were enlightened. They were actualizing what they believed a good life would look like. Okay. You know what I mean? Indulging. It reminds me a bit of, have you ever read the picture of Dorian Gray? Yes. Right? Like it's that idea that he has initially in the book when I can't remember his friend's name that convinces him to, to live the hedonistic lifestyle, but he doesn't believe he's bad. No. He just believes that this is living. This is how real life is enjoyed. Well, there's that's a theme recurring throughout like literature and art is the idea of like shaking off the shackles of society's expectations mm -hmm. and religion, especially. Well, and the rejection of the old church, which you could argue has done a lot of evil things itself. Well, and religion doesn't want you to have fun. Really, a lot of religion doesn't want you to have fun. So I get it. Mm -hmm. Have you never been to a Catholic mass? That, those things are awesome. I grew awesome. up Catholic. They were horrible. The singing, the sitting and kneeling. Oof. Oh, God, spare me. The food and drink. I used to just sit and dream about when I get home and read my Hardy me Boy too. books. <laughs> I would do the same thing. Ugh. All right, let's get back to it. So um, the English and the Irish Hellfire Clubs did not appear to be particularly rigid in formal structures. They would perhaps more accurately be described as a shared special interest group designed purely for their hedonistic and self-indulgent pleasures with a view to amusing themselves and shocking society. Mm -hmm. However, there did appear to be at least some ceremonial roles. Uh, for example, a person named James Warsdale uh, served as the master of the revels of the Dublin branch. So there are names that are associated with different, and like that doesn't sound that bad, except no. maybe when you start to look at what the revels included. I'm going to put that on my resume, that I once worked as master of the revels. 
The Irish Hellfire Club quickly gained notoriety by their open mockery of the church, which took the Enlightenment's questioning of organized religion to a new level. And remember, this is still a dangerous time Ooh, yeah. to be doing that, especially in a country like Ireland. You don't want to be no heretics. An interesting letter from 1738 that purported to be written by a member of the club who used the pseudonym Moloch, which oh, yes. harkens back to the uh, episode I did, The Horn Man of Circular Quay. He, so Moloch is a, a demon and yes. often associated with sacrifice and yes. child sacrifice. And you mean the you mean the circular key? Did I say it again? Yeah. What did I say? Quay? Yeah, quay. I think I would have learned. It's okay. So... This Moloch describes the Hellfire Club and its practices, including the sacrifice of maidens. Oh, no. Which some people think may actually just mean that they took, it still doesn't make it good, but it perhaps meant that they were taking the virginity from women, not maybe killing them. Although there are others, and there is some historical evidence to suggest they actually were killing people in sacrificial rituals. Oh, dear. Okay. Now I'm not down with it now. No, this is where they they start to go, and it's not just like debauchery and fun. Mm-hmm. It's actually sinister, dark, and evil. Yeah, it's doing. gone. It's gone from frosh week to badness. Mm-hmm. So, and apparently, and again, this is according to this Moloch. Uh, all members of the Irish faction of the Hellfire Club had to take the following had to make the following declaration when joining. Pluto, I am thine. I by the Efficious mighty self, do swear all that is called good by priest-rid fools entirely to abandon, and to let nothing share the least part of my favor but what is solely urged by my most vicious and libidinous desires. Ooh, libidinous. Libidinous. The libido. Yes. My, my. Wasn't that your wrestling name? In the late 80s? It should have been. And now entering the ring, libido. (laughs) It does sound like a name. This is a very saucy um, topic you have this week. It's very saucy. You're very... I poured ketchup all over my sweater to sort of um, mirror the theme of this uh, tonight. have sauce all over me. That was a stupid joke. The dad joke. It was. Oh my... Yes, you're right. It was a dad Mm, joke. That's why I'm in the shed. All right. So... (laughs) The Hellfire Club was notorious for its excesses, as we've talked about, which were often conducted in public. Its heavy drinking sessions were sometimes attended by sexual assaults and violence and ending in murder on at least one recorded occasion. This is in Dublin. The group's wild and blasphemous acts came to the attention of Jonathan Swift, the Jonathan Swift, who railed against the notorious Hellfire Club, describing them as a brace of monsters, blasphemers, and bacchanalians. I love that I'm getting to say all these wonderful words. The Irish Hellfire Club was alleged to have indulged in satanic rituals and to have made pacts with the devil. And according to numerous accounts, the members of the Hellfire Club were said to have always left, as I mentioned before, one chair at the head of the table uh, vacant for the devil if he happened to arrive. The principal meeting place for the Hellfire Club is said to have been the Eagle Tavern that once stood on Cork Hill in Dublin. This particular tavern and its proprietor, Mr. Lee, was like a super hot spot for these secret societies. Apparently, the Ogram and Hanover Clubs and the Freemasons also met there. It was like a timeshare for cults. I like that. It's just, you know, it's it's got all that you need, you know. You just have to come in and listen to this presentation and... You will get a free ferry ride uh, or maybe a stay at a nice uh, inn down the road. And then they next thing they know, they bought a timeshare at this to have their club host there. Two for one chowder on assassination nights. <laughs> a night out apparently uh, in, on Cork Hill in the 1730s was considered to be extremely dangerous. So think like some of the meaner streets of some of the bigger cities that are around now. That apparently there was, it was just a very, very bad and dangerous place to be. Lots of murders and assaults and lots of shady groups that haunted the area. And I don't okay. mean like, like in the paranormal sense, but just, you know, yeah. Bad folk. So, which leads us now mm-hmm. to their eventual home and meeting place of the club and the landmark that has garnered a dark reputation. 
Well, you yourself have garnered a dark reputation. I have. It took a lot of years of planning and hard work to do it. But I, um, you know, in most circles now, I'm just known as the shadow. You don't seem scared. (laughs) I'm rarely scared. Oh, boy. Okay, Okay. so Montpellier Hill, which is now better known as the Hellfire Club Mm -hmm. uh, to Dubliners, is actually, it's a really lovely place. Today. Okay. 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 So it's gentrified. No, no. I mean, it's a natural, beautiful. This is a, a place outside of Dublin. Oh. It's yeah. It's it's got forest. The kill uh, the Killikey Forest is nearby, which by the way has its own sordid history, and I'll get into a little bit later. The whole area is spooky times. Spooky times. If you look at pictures, you'll see like it has a variety of like forest trails and and. From the top of Montpellier, you can actually see Dublin in the distance. Okay. It's got really beautiful views of the city. On the weekends, it's apparently like a hot spot for people to go on hikes and walks and picnics and things like that. You know, dogs are running around and it's a really apparently happy, fun place. At the top of Montpellier sits a large hunting lodge where, if the stories are to be believed, some very strange things have happened. Mm-hmm. Throughout its nearly three-century-long existence, the home has been the subject of many hauntings and other speculated supernatural events. The hunting lodge was originally built atop the now-famous hill by William Connolly, who at the time was the Speaker of the Irish House of Commons, sometime around 1725. Okay, so right around the time you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Toward the beginning of the lodge's construction, workers came across an ancient grave passage passage and cairn, which would aid substantially in Mount Pellier's construction and to some contribute to its demise. Oh. Eager to recycle these newly found resources, workers took a large number of the cairn stones and re-implemented them in the lodge. So they took apart this grave oh. and used it to build the lodge. Oh, that's bad mojo right there. That's a... That's, oh. it absolutely. Con- so Conley and, and all of his workers oh. must have been, must have been fully aware that Neolithic people, uh, so that some would say this is the mythical Tue de Danan, uh, and if any of our Irish listeners want to correct me on my pronunciation, please do. Um, but the, 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 the prehistoric Irish... They would have known that this was a burial site. What they, they would have known what they were doing. And they would have also probably been aware of the lore behind these sites. That these tombs possessed very, very powerful spirits that you just don't mess with. Yeah, that's just inviting disaster. It was actually, it was considered a satanic crime to interfere with something of this nature. And for anyone who did, they believed that there was going to be repercussions and unimaginable consequences. I get that. So regardless, though, of all this, they went ahead and continued with their work, which turned out, I'll have you know, it turned out to be a bad move. I sensed that was coming. So many mark the Cairns' destruction as the beginning of Montpellier's paranormal history. As shortly after the lodge's completion, it's it's hard to, to gauge how long, but short, like it may be, months after it was built, its slate roof was blown clean off, mm-hmm. which is hard to do. That's stone, right? So Yeah, yeah, of course. It's heavy. Some people will say it was simply a storm's doing. Others speculate, though, that the, uh, the spirits incensed at Conley's actions tore it off in a moment of rage to try and teach him a lesson. I like column B. I like the second explanation. Much to these spirits' chagrin, Riley. Uh, Conley had the roof rebuilt with arched stones, and again, he went back and used ones from the ancient cairn. Oh, my God. And that roof, by the way, stands to this day. Oh, okay. Well, Mm -hmm. okay, but I'm sure the energy that came with it's still there, too. Well, we talk about that a lot in this show, about energy of places. And this place sounds like it has a lot of energy. The locals reckon that a grieved spirit seeking vengeance for the Karen's destruction are responsible for all of the supernatural events that have occurred there since. And there's a lot of different stories that centered not just around the Hellfire Club or Montpel- like the, the, the lodge at the top of the hill, but also the surrounding woods, some of the other uh, farmhouses that, that are there. This is a really spooky place. I assume at this point it's a tourist attraction. It's probably protected. There were tour groups that ran through there, but that apparently has been ceased. 
but you can go. Yeah, it's it's very open to the public. You can visit it at any time. Okay, okay. So William Conley ended up dying shortly after uh, its construction in 1729. And in the coming years, his family ended up lending the lodge for use to the Hellfire Club. Oh, dear. Oh, God. Persist. So imagine you've got all of that bad mojo. And then these fools show up. And then these sacks of... Yeah, these guys. Look, it's a chair for Satan. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, man. It's going to end badly. With persistent rumors about widespread drunkenness and these orgies. And now they were also starting... People claim to have witnessed them performing black masses, devil worships, and, and including sacrifices within Montpellier's walls. It's, it became pretty clear that the Hellfire Club members were truly taking their credo to heart. And people stayed away from the lodge. I would. Over time, fact and fiction have become so intertwined that it's impossible to separate them. These stories have been passed down for hundreds of years. Some of them are hard to believe, and I'll go through some of the stories and the lore. But some of them are creepy and weird. Many locals who have passed these stories down from the ages insist, they insist that as wild as they may seem, these stories are true. They're adamant. And you can read, there's lots of people speaking today about these stories and they're convinced and their fear of the Hellfire Club is real. They they are terrified of this place. Okay. So the best known, and I love this story, uh, the best known Hellfire Club story involves an infamous card game. Are you familiar with cards, right? I am. I actually enjoy playing cards. Have you ever heard of a game called poker? No, come on. Of course I've heard of poker. Well, that's what they were playing this night. Oh, I I was hoping it'd be something more UK-like than poker, like whist. Croconole? Or something. A bridge? Yeah. I'm disappointed it's poker. So during one stormy night during the 1730s, apparently a mysterious man appeared in front of the Hellfire Club seeking refuge from the nasty weather outside. He was invited to come in and play with the rest of the members. Everything seemed to be perfectly normal. He apparently was hooded. They couldn't quite see his face as he was playing, and he was very quiet and apparently quite good at the game and was winning quite a bit. At some point, one of the card players dropped a card on the floor, and as he bent down to retrieve it, he noticed the stranger had cloven hooves instead of feet. Oh, that's This was their good. big night. The devil had showed up to play. That actually happened to me not too long ago on the bus. Go on. No, that's that's all I got. Mm. So the end, like, it's these stories. I think they're fun and cute. I don't think that actually happened. And I don't want to try and sell it that way. Because it's kind of funny. It is kind of funny. Another tale concerns a young farmer curious to find out what went on at the meetings. And he climbed up Montpellier Hill one night. And then he was invited in by the members of the club and allowed to witness the night's activities. He was found the next morning, apparently trembling and terrified. And tradition says he spent the rest of his life unable to speak, unable even to remember his name. And what I was reading, because this is like those first two stories are repeated often. And what I was reading about this story, it it sort of almost becomes like a, a symbolic of what people did see there. What they were seeing was shocking and scary and, and people just stayed away. I'm dying to know what they were doing in there. Another, and this is maybe the biggest and most famous story. And this is the one where locals will tell you this is true. Okay. And is recurring still to this day. There's a, a giant black demonic cat that apparently uh, prowls the whole area. Yeah. So in this story, another young man, a visitor to a local pharmacist, went to investigate the club's activities, like the other story that I told you. But in this case, when the morning came, this guy was found dead at the bottom of the hill. Yes. His host and the local priest, believing him to have been murdered uh, by the members of the club, went to uh, the lodge to investigate. When they went, they saw a banquet laid out and a black cat prowling the room. But according to these uh, these witnesses, it was no normal cat. It was apparently huge. And the priest noticed that its ears were shaped like horns and it had burning red eyes. Happening to have a small bottle of holy water in his pocket, the priest attempted to assail the beast. When he splashed the holy water on it, apparently it destroyed the cat, tearing it into pieces. Mm-hmm. 
When the priest emerged outside, he found his companion, though, lying dead on the ground with claw marks all over his body. I did not see that coming. Good. Well. That's a nice twist. Yeah. The other story involving the cat is of uh, Hellfire members, and this one, this one probably is true. Hellfire members dousing a helpless cat in whiskey and setting it on fire and then releasing it into the wild where the cat is said to have run ablaze until it presumably died. So oh. some people think perhaps this cat that people keep seeing is actually the spirit of that cat that was tortured to death. Oh, poor thing. During one of the club's black masses, which, as I mentioned before, apparently included sacrifice. And in one of the stories, if they, and I'll come back to this, um, there's a story that they sacrificed a dwarf. A, a dwarf? Yeah. Okay, a, that's specific. Yes. But, and I'm saying that for a reason. Does Satan like dwarfs? What? Does, is Satan into dwarves? I don't know. I don't have dwarves, a actually. Dwarves. I should say dwarves. dwarves. I don't know Satan. I know that it may appear that way, but I don't. Okay. okay. Dwarves. Interesting. Okay. Apparently during one of their black masses, sorry, not apparently, this did happen, but whether what was happening in it, this is all alleged. The lodge actually caught fire and several members were killed which ended up prompting the club to change its location. So that was the end of any inhabitation of the lodge up on the top of the hill. Hellfire's new home was uh, known as the Killikee Steward's House, a short jaunt from Montpellier Hill. And like the lodge, the steward's house is also believed to be haunted, specifically by the same black cat with burning eyes. In the 1960s, Workers renovating a nearby derelict house started to experience unusual events, including the appearance of this demonic black cat. Tom McCassie, who was overseeing the steward's house renovation, said that a locked door swung open, revealing a hideous black cat with blazing red eyes. He then went on to paint a portrait of the cat, and I have to, I have to show it to you. That sounds amazing. <laughs> but it's not. It just isn't. Is it shitty? Yeah, it just looks like a sad, fat cat. Oh, okay. We'll post that. I, I will post it. I want you to look at it, though. Just to put Tom McCassie, so McCassie's M-C-A-S-S-E-Y, and cat. And it's the first image you'll oh, see. Oh, yeah. It's just a little shit. It's, it just looks really forlorn. Yeah, it looks really sad. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe that thing's like the size of a dog. I don't know. It doesn't look scary. No, I feel bad. It just looks like, oh, love me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's not a bad picture. It's okay. It's just not scary. If no, he's it's terrified not scary of this thing, then he did a bad job. Many other people have continued to report sightings of an indigenous person. The stories I'm seeing refer to this person as an Indian. So maybe they mean someone from India, or maybe they, I'm, I think what they mean is indigenous. I'm just putting that out there. I don't know. I tried to find out. Yeah, because indigenous in Ireland is not what indigenous is in Canada, right? Well, they didn't use indigenous. They used Indian. So, I mean, I think a lot of people still use that archaic term to refer to First Nation. Right. But they didn't have First Nations there, did they? Not that I know of. Hmm. But this is what people claim to see, which is weird. Okay. So they see this person and uh, accompanied by two nuns who people have now named Blessed Margaret and Holy Mary. The female spirits are thought to be those of nuns or women who dressed up as nuns who had taken part in black masses upon Montpellier Hill. In 1971, a plumber working on the steward's house, which was the, the second home of the Hellfire Club, dug up a small skeleton, which some claim is the body of the dwarf that had been sacrificed so many years earlier by the members of the club on Montpellier. All right. Okay. That's why I brought that one up. Okay, got it? I got it. So they didn't have a particular fondness for dwarves and no, it's it was just, just random. Some people will point to that as evidence that there were sacrifices occurring there. Okay. Today, while the site's area, as mentioned before, is is surrounded by beautiful scenery, the locals who use this area for, you know, their evening strolls or dog walks during the afternoon don't dream of going there after dark. Really? To this day? To this day. In fact, the, we mentioned earlier that ghost tour that used to run up until, I think it was the 1990s, early 2000s, uh, it stopped because apparently people were too scared and just wouldn't go. How far is it from civilization? I, I should have looked on a map, but looking at pictures, it looks like 
Dublin's in the distance. Okay. So it's very rural. So it's outside town for sure. It is. Okay. It It is. So it's, you're not going to be getting a lot of international tourists probably up in that area. No, I'm just wondering how remote a site it is. Like it's, it's remote. Pitch black at night, you know, no, yeah. no one living nearby. That's right. Okay. So in addition to this, world famous experts who I know you love and admire uh, have visited the area in the past and have confirmed that something sinister still resides there. Of course. One of my favorite accounts was, I really enjoyed reading this, uh, was from a travel writer from Ireland. His name is Derek Cullen. He grew up in the area. And as a child, he was terrified of Montpellier. He, he wouldn't go anywhere near it. It was the source of a lot of nightmares. So, so he decided he wanted to overcome these fears that he had from his childhood. And what he did is he, he describes it was late October, very close to Halloween, and he camped there uh, over the night one night oh. uh, by himself oh man <laughs> i would do that and he said he actually has a, a general fear of camping alone in the wild anyway so that coupled with the source of his childhood horrors for him it was like exposure therapy it was like just get it over with do it and you know you become stronger you know what i will not camp alone I won't even, I have friends who have cottages and they'll stay at their cottages, which are very remote on lakes with like overnight by themselves. And I wouldn't even do that. I'm okay with cottages. I've done, I have done that before. That's creepy. Mind, mind you, my, the cottage I, that I'm referring to is not like there's other cottages nearby and stuff, but yeah, no, I understand that. Especially if after you watch Blair Witch Project that I, you know, I think a lot of people were freaked out by that movie. Like we were with Jaws. So even as an adult, this site has given him the willies. Um, what he ended up doing is he actually, this is cute, he left his home, his parents' home, and walked because it was close enough. I guess the village that he lives in was was fairly close Aww. with all his camping gear. He walked up there. It was still daylight when he got there. And then he described going through the runes. And it's quite cool. Like, these runes are, are intact. Like, you can visit all the different rooms in the lodge. Um, it's very rundown and creepy looking. But it's an old stone house. And he described, you know, walking through and you could hear birds and stuff, which were creepy sounding. What I love about his account is he's not trying to sell you a story. He's telling you about how it, it made him feel. He said when he was in there, he felt wrong. He felt like he wasn't welcomed. Okay. He felt just a dark presence. And he says, look, I grew up with fears of this place. So maybe I'm more inclined to feel that anyway. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's actual spirits there, but it was creepy. So after he had finished walking through, he set up his tent right up against one of the walls of the lodge. And he said that once it was evening, he got into his tent. The weather started to turn and get bad. He couldn't sleep. The wind apparently was howling, which he said was actually good because it sort of masked any scary noises or things that might be outside his tent. But okay. this is the one sort of real creepy part. At one point, his tent just started to shake, like as if someone was moving his tent uh, outside the tent. And he just stayed huddled and, and was too scared to go out and look. When he woke up the next morning, the sun was back out. He went one last time through the runes. And again, you have to imagine walking through something like that would be terrifying. Speaking of cottages, when I was a child, there was, we were kind of the last cottage on this little dirt road. And it, but if you, the road continued. You know, it was probably maybe a kilometer away. If you followed that road, it would eventually led down to this hill in this clearing, and there were the r remains of a, a burnt down cottage. There was, I remember, there was like just a chimney standing, and you could see the where the the foundation. And we we believed, we were told that it was a witch's cottage or a witch's house that burnt down. Like the 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 village people burnt it down. I never stepped foot in that place. Like we were terrified of going anywhere. We would look at it. The closest we would get is we'd go down the hill and, you know, maybe get within 30 feet. So I understand when he's talking about the power of this place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So while he didn't see anything, he did feel a foreboding presence the entire time he was there. And his sort of conclusion at the end was, this is an evil place. This is not a good place. Another person, you're going to like this guy, uh, Aaron Goodwin, who's the host of Ghost Adventures. I'm assuming you watched that show. I think I used it in uh, research for podcast. 
Is that the, the I, I was thinking that and yeah. I couldn't, I don't know how you got to see yours. I, I don't stream the show on any of the, the services I use and I wasn't going to pay uh, to watch it, but I did get a really good description off Reddit. Thank you, Reddit. Well, I, uh, whenever I have to try to find those things, I find it in a questionable place on the internet. Let's just leave it at that. Well, I guess the Mounties are going to come for you now. Yeah, I'm not paying for that for one stupid episode of some crappy show. So they did an Irish, uh, Irish. <laughs> they did an Ireland-based episode where they looked at all the different, like different haunted places in Ireland. In that episode, they explored the ruins of the club, and in it, Aaron felt something grab and scratch his ear as he tried to leave the room. Okay. And so the way it was described is he felt almost like he was being tugged back and being prevented from leaving the room. He apparently got very nervous, very scared, and ran screaming out of the building. Reddit users who have seen the episode say it was actually quite disturbing to watch. Because unlike some of those other, and I mean, we've, we've seen shows like it, there's just something fake about it. Yeah. You can tell they're not really scared. You can tell they're trying to act the part. Yeah, it's very staged. But according to Reddit users, this is an infamous episode because of how scary it was, obviously, for him. Okay. And for people watching it. Okay. So as the group was leaving and driving down Montpellier Hill, they apparently stop. And again, this is all on camera. Uh, for Aaron to have a moment to calm down and, and explain what had happened. And then in the show, you can hear outside the car uh, a woman screaming, no, nah! like at this high-pitched uh, scream, a woman screaming. Some believe it freaked them out even more, and, and apparently they got really upset, and, and that was it. That was the end of the, the, the recording. Some believe that what they heard was a banshee. Oh, Seriously? Yes. So, and banshees, for those who don't know, are female fairy spirits that apparently are heralds to death. If you hear a banshee screaming, your death or the death of a loved one is imminent. Okay. And apparently this area is filled with banshees, which could be associated with the ancient burial site at the top of the hill. Oh, I like that one. So normally I wouldn't share one of theirs, but this, that was too good. It's super creepy. Here's another one that's absolutely real and very sad and dark. In 2013, a woman was walking. She was described as a professional dog walker. I didn't know that was a profession. Yes, that's a profession. How How is that? Like in London, I had a friend who was going to become a dog walker because people in urban centers with pets, you can walk them all day. Like in New York City, there's tons of professional. I guess that just implies you walk dogs for a living. You do that for a living. That's what but you it's do. Not like you're, you're tra- I guess when I hear professional, I think you've been trained. But a lot of them are certified. They have to be insured, you know, stuff like that. Okay. They're like babysitters, right? So a professional dog walker. Uh, in 2013, was walking in the woods around the Montpellier. With a dog? Do- uh, with a dog, yeah. Okay. The dog found a bone, and she thought that that was, you know, an animal bone. I know what it like was. That. It was a dwarf's bone. Really? This is a dwarf's thigh. Wasn't that the name of your punk band? Dwarf's thigh? In the early 80s? Dwarf's bone? You know that I was in a band, right? Oh, God. Called My Ribs? Do you know what instrument I played? No, what? The maracas and the band ended the day my maracas exploded because I banged them together and one of them, one of them. How old were you? High school, like 16, 17. Did you really do that? Yes. There were other people that you know that were in that. We don't need to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We played like three concerts. I need to sleep now. We had like three songs. It's upsetting. So this woman found this bone. Eventually the dog keeps exploring. She looks around. They find uh, what looks like the remains of, of like a tracksuit. Like, and I don't mean like the full pants, but like fabric is there and then you know they continue to find more bones and it becomes very clear that what they're looking at is human remains uh the police were called in initially they thought perhaps that this might have been one of the bodies of uh there were three women that went missing in the 1990s uh that have never been found but through forensic analysis they realized that a the bones were relatively new they probably a year to two years old and um, that it was a, a woman, most likely in her 30s, who didn't sort of meet the description anyway of the women from the 90s. So what they ended up discovering was that they were the, the, the remains of a woman named Elaine O'Hara, 
who had died two years previous, who sorry, who had gone missing two years previously, and people assumed had committed suicide by drowning herself in the ocean. Oh no! Oh! It turns out she was ritualistically murdered. Oh no! So they found nearby another site, sealed site, where they found a whole bunch of like clamps, saws, knives, restraints, a shovel. And it appears that she was probably tortured and murdered in that site that whoever did it had tried to bury her. But apparently the ground there is uh, very rooty and hard to dig. So then he had moved her to a different site and, and I guess thrown her under some bushes. And it, they were able to eventually through CCTV footage, they actually were able to find the guy who did it. Oh, wow. Really? But it had, it had satanic overtones to oh, it again. Oh, no. Oh, this got dark, man. Dark fast. This this is a really dark and spooky place. So the Irish Hellfire Club eventually, as I, I mentioned, petered out. It, it did return. It had a big flourish uh, in the late 1700s under a new name. It became the Holy Fathers. And uh, they actually ran for about 30 years, these Holy Fathers. And one of the worst stories that came out of this period was the kidnapping murder and eating of a local farm a farmer's daughter and uh, the repentant uh, thomas whaley at the time of his death admitted to these things and also he also uh, he he ended the reign of this um of that organization the hellfire club remains burnt out and abandoned on montpellier hill looking over dublin the view is glorious on a sunny day but at nighttime, the seemingly tranquil sanctuary becomes a very different and sinister place. Now, in all my travels around the world, one thing I have learned is to listen to the locals. And the, and the people of Montpellier will tell you, stay away. Is that your story? No, I'm just, that was the intro to my story. Now, we begin the real story. Okay, I can't believe that you just mentioned the the murder and eating of some farmer's daughter and that's you just went right over it like didn't happen. That sounds pretty important. Well, well, I don't there's not a lot. It's from the late 1700s. Apparently he he admitted to this on his deathbed. God, it must have been a big deal at the time. I would imagine it would have been. That now I, that being said, there are people who will claim that that's not it didn't actually happen. Okay. That it's lore. Okay. Yeah. Now another question: Are there? Is it rumored to still be there, lurking in the underground? What's still there? The Hellfire Club. No, there's no rumors of it con- having. Continued. Oh, I would have loved that. Like eyes wide there shut. There are there are stories though of people wannabe Satanists going there and performing rituals. And in fact, if you look at uh, some of the the graffiti that people have laid down on the stonework, mm-hmm. th- you'll see different satanic imagery and things like that. But no, there is no hellfire club that we know of still running that was good i like that it got dark no of course i want to go there i do too i really want to go there there. i want to see um yeah well you know again like i I tend to shy away from stories that are based just on fun lore they're fun but it's not really weird it's it's just it's a ghost story i like this because we know the hellfire club absolutely did exist it certainly appears that they were doing some pretty dark, bad stuff. And then add to that, it's the local reaction to Montpellier uh, and the surrounding area that I think is is interesting. You know, this is a place, another one of those bad vibe places like the Overlook Hotel that... Uh, we always go back you know, to that. So these were just a bunch of really wealthy, powerful people who just got it in their heads to just be really debauched and dark and counter-religious and kaboom that's right i'm still obsessed that they killed a dwarf why are you so obsessed? Well, it's funny they just don't say a man well because they found they found bones matching the description of this person that was yeah reportedly killed there yeah and there's now forensic evidence to suggest that they might have been right i'm just when i see that when i when you say that i just picture you know like the dwarves from the the safety dance video oh you know good i have like i have to kind of think about this you know i'm going to go on the internet now and internet i'm going to go on the internet now and look at photographs what was that noise did you hear that oh i don't i don't know i was doing this no it was weird what's it's oh i don't know it's the dwarf's spirit (laughs) maybe 
Yeah, there's lots of great pictures online. I will obviously post a collection of those. You've got to post the cat. I will post the cat for sure. <laughs> poor, sad-looking cat. I know. And the, and the people people claim to still see the cat. I love giant, demonic black cat. I mean, let's face it. Most cats are demonic. But the idea of it being set on fire, and that's so gross. And then, of course, sad, yeah. it, there's consequences. And it came back mad and otherworldly. Like the cat in Pet cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great story. I liked it. Thank you. All right. Well, that's that's it for this one. We've gone long. I still can't wrap my head around the fact that of all the places in the world you could live, it'd be Ireland. Yes. Have you been? Well, I've been to the British Isles. I love it. But it's not the one place in the world that if I had to choose, I would choose. I love different countries for different reasons. But have you been to Ireland? Well, yes, briefly. But it just rained the whole time I was there and I, it was expensive. So we've gone twice and extensive stays both times. The weather's always been amazing. Oh, it rained the whole time I was there. It's been sunny and unseasonably warm. And I like to think I brought some of my magic to Ireland. So if anyone knows anyone who can get me my citizenship, I would appreciate it. Oh, I don't know. I'll bring you good weather. I would pick different cities for different reasons. Every city has something different to bring to them. I would never want to be trapped in one place. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't live in Dublin, by the way. Okay. My favorite town in Ireland that, that I've been to yet was a small town called Kinsale in the southwest uh, corner of the, of the island. And you would just live there and read books? Eat well. They have really good restaurants. Uh, oh, so you're rich. Okay. I would eat well and I would uh, read and I'd teach. I'd teach there. I'd love to teach there. So you'd never see great theater? You would never? No. You wouldn't see great gallery and great art shows you would don't care for okay don't like theater don't like art give me a few bbc channels and i'm good to go you're a puzzling man dan and we live in a puzzling world we do and that's the whole point of the podcast see everything comes around yep so uh, thanks for listening to the weird we appreciate you uh sticking around and following with us uh, it's uh, always a pleasure to uh, have your comments, uh, you know, through social media. We really appreciate those of you that have reached out and have shared, uh, you know, your experience with the show as well. I'd like to, to thank uh, the kind gentleman that uh, asked for how he could listen to the show while walking uh, and on, on the podcast. If you're wondering how to do that, I, I actually uh, on our Facebook page uh, post instructions on how you could Download the show onto your iPod. That's a, actually a great story. I really like It's very cute. It was nice, yeah. Okay, so so let's get out of here. And uh, we'll see you again next week with more tales of the uncanny, the bizarre, and the questionable. Spread the word of the weird. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye.